Good morning. Hey, I'm my welcome to what you've already received. Welcome to Blend and Amped, Roan County, and down in Bearden. We're glad to be together as one church celebrating and worshiping this weekend. Hey, before we get into the, the message today, I just want to say thank you for several of you, most of you hopefully, who prayed for a group of us who went to Israel a few weeks ago. We went on a study tour. We've been studying for months, reading through the Harmony of the Gospels, and we actually walked through the chronology of Christ's life and ministry and his discipleship strategies over two weeks in Israel, and we all got back home safe, had a big dinner party the other night. Everybody's good, good to go. Thanks for praying. I hope I hope each and every one of you will have an opportunity sometime in your lifespan to go over to Israel and to enjoy and experience the Holy Land in a new and a fresh way. And so be watching. We'll be hosting other trips in the years to come. Be looking at our website and be tapping in, and hopefully you can join on one of those trips. All righty. Hey, every one of us has had those moments in life, every one of us, where, where what's asked of us is, is seemingly a, a beyond us. It's beyond our expertise. It's maybe beyond our experience beyond our gift set, our skill set, and, and that space where, you, where you're overwhelmed, where something comes up, something comes into your life, and you feel this sense of just being overwhelmed. And what you're saying internally, and what I've said to myself internally, this is just beyond me. Anybody been there? This is just beyond, this is a little bit out of my depth. Maybe it's a lot out of my depth. I remember the first day or the first week of college, and uh, you went, went from class to class to class, and all, all the assignments were adding up, right? And there's no way, when you thought about it, at the end of the week, there's no way I can get all these papers written, all these tests taken, all these projects executed before, between now and, and, and winter break and December break. There's just no way. It's, it's a sense of being overwhelmed. It's beyond me. Or maybe for you, that, that sense came into your world and life when you stepped into a relationship or you were in a relationship and you're looking at the other person going, what they're wanting from me and expecting from me ain't inside me. I ain't got what they think I've got. Whether it's a relationship, a friendship, maybe a marriage. Maybe it's that moment you drove away from the hospital with that baby in the backseat going, I don't know how we're going to do this. This is way outside my comfort zone or my expertise. Or maybe it's been some crisis in your life. Something happened in your life that man, a left turn took place in you or your family. And you're thinking, this is way out of my league. This news that we just got, this, this next chapter that we're going to have to walk through, I don't have what it takes for this. Or maybe it's even a, an expectation someone's placed on you at your job or in, in something you do during the week. And maybe, maybe you were assigned a new task at work and you're driving home like many of us have going, do they know who they just assigned this to? I don't have what it takes to do this. And that's where we're picking up in this story in Exodus chapter 3 and 4. God's having a conversation with a guy, the man, the myth, the legend, Moses. And Moses is saying to God, I don't have what it takes. This thing's beyond me. And we've been looking at chapter 3, and now we're going to move into chapter 4. If you have a Bible, smartphone, a journal, get there to chapter 4. We'll get there in a minute. But we need to do a quick swing back so we can swing forward. God calls Moses to do a, a big task. And, and Moses, remember, he has this encounter with God. He's, he's killed a man in Egypt, left Egypt. He's 40 years out in the wilderness. He's out in literally left field. And God steps into his world and his life. He goes, I got a job for you to do. He, he's a shepherd. He's, he's actually shepherding goats. He's closing in on 80 years old, and God steps into his life and says, through an experience at a burning bush, I got a job for you to do. I want to call you to rescue my people. Early on in our study, we unpacked the truth that, that God works through people to bring rescue and blessing. God works through his people to bring rescue and blessing. And this is exactly what he's calling Moses to. He says to Moses, I want to use you to rescue my people. Back in chapter 3, the command was this. He says to Moses, come, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Sounds like, an, it sounds like a direct task. Moses brings up five concerns, two of which we've looked at already. A couple weeks back, we looked at the first one. He said to, to God in response, who am I? Who am I that, that I should be the one who brings the people out of Egypt? Do, do you see where I am? Who, who am I? I'm a shepherd. I'm a nobody. I, I left that part of my life in the past a long time ago, and yet you're calling me to do a, a task and a work that's way beyond me. Who am I for such a task? Again, the question. It's a good question. And yet, here's what I want you to catch. I'm not going to hide the big idea. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to repeat it again, and I'm going to drill it home over and over, because that's what God does with Moses. He says to Moses, at his first concern, who am I? He doesn't address Moses. He addresses himself. Moses points to himself over and over again. God doesn't even deal with what he's talking about. God, God refers to himself. He says, Moses, who am I? I'm going to be with you. Who are you? You're, you're, you're Moses, but, but here's the truth of the matter. I'm going to be with you in this task. I'll be with you. Moses raises a second concern. I'm an outsider stepping back in. If I come to the people of God and say to them, hey, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me to you, who, who am I to do this? What, what, what should I tell them your name is? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a nobody. I left all that behind me. I'm going to go to them out of, out of obscurity and step into their world? They're going to say to me, well, who sent you? Who is it that sent you? We unpacked this last week. Moses said, God, what, what, what should I tell them? And God responds, I am who I am. If you look down in your study notes, I'll be who I will be. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. He says, tell them I am has sent you. I am. I am God. I'm above all other gods. I am has sent you. And he gets even more personal as we unpack. In verse 15, he goes, you want to know my name? I'm going to give you my personal name. It's Lord. It's Yahweh. And you might say, well, what's in the name? I don't know what's in your name. And that may matter or not matter. Maybe you can find your name at Cracker Barrel on a little pad and it says this is who you are and this is what your main name means. Somebody made that up in a back room in an office somewhere. But, but here's the deal with God. What's in the name? A whole lot. He says my name is Yahweh. He gets real personal with them. And, and his name Yahweh means deliverer. It means that he's going to be present with him. It means that he's going to experience and express his power through him. What's in the name? Everything. Everything is in the name of Yahweh because God is saying to Moses, by the virtue of my name, by its definition, I am with you. This is so significant, so important for Moses to get. I'm with you, he says. That's what's in the name. Yahweh's power and presence are revealed in his name. And this weekend builds on that same thing, that same theme. So what's clear? God's presence demonstrates that he's trustworthy. God's presence, what's in the name? His presence. God's presence demonstrates that he's trustworthy. And now to the rest of the conversation. Chapter three moves to chapter four where Moses has three more concerns that God deals with. Third concern, starting in chapter four, verse one. Then Moses answered, but behold, they'll not believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? He said, it's a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. And so he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And so he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it had, his hand was leprous like snow. 
Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they'll not believe you, God said, or listen to you for the first sign, they may believe the later sign. He goes on. If they'll not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. Moses moves on to his fourth concern. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who's made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses hears this, and he goes on to a final concern. Verse 13, but he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he began, and he said to him, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses, though he's reluctant, he went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, please let me go to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they were still alive or not. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Moses offers three more objections in this conversation. And frankly, I love the fact that he has this honest, real conversation with God. Three more questions, and at each response, God says to him, he doesn't deal with Moses' objections. He doesn't even say, yeah, that's too bad, that's too sad. He goes, I want you to point them. He's pointing to himself. He's pointing to who he is and his presence with him. God's presence demonstrates that he's trustworthy. His presence demonstrates that he's trustworthy. So what's that mean for us as followers of Jesus? We we can experience God's presence and know that God can be trusted. God gave Moses signs in case Israel did not believe in him. He gave him signs. He goes, I know how this is going to play out. Who was Moses to reappear to the people of God? He, who, who was he going to show up out of left field and say to them, hey, I'm your new leader. God is just appointing me as your spokesmodel. Get behind. We're going to do this thing. God knew that Moses wanted some signs. And, and, and Moses, Moses experienced that from God. And he, And Moses said to God, they're not going to listen to me. But back in chapter 3, God had already told him, they're going to listen to you. He didn't hear it. He didn't catch it. Moses is still struggling with the reality that God says, I'm with you. They're going to listen to you. But in spite of all that, God gives him signs, evidence to the people that God was with Moses. And God kills a lot of birds with one stone. Don't you know that? Usually there's not just one thing he's establishing or, 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 or making sure. He wants to be sure the people of God know that, that Moses is going to be their leader. As God delivered Moses, now he's going to use Moses to deliver his people. God wanted the people to know that. But also, I think God's speaking to the man. He's having a conversation with Moses who's a little bit reluctant. He's insecure about all this. And God's saying, I'm going to give you some signs. They're going to be a sign to the people, but they're going to be a sign to you as well. The the supernatural acts of God demonstrate the very real presence of God. God does some supernatural things then and now. God shows up supernaturally to remind us of his presence with us, a presence that can be trusted. God asks Moses, hey, what's in your hand? He goes, it's a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. Staff he throws on the ground. So he throws that staff on the ground. It becomes a snake, and Moses jumps back. This is kind of scary. God says, all right, go catch the snake by the tail. Moses grabs it by the tail, and the snake turns back into a staff, turns back into a piece of wood. 
God says to Moses, go ahead and put your hand inside your cloak. So he puts his hand inside his cloak and he pulls it out and it's full, full and covered with a skin disease. Uh, a skin disease. Uh, a skin disease. He's got a skin disease, and God says, put that back in your cloak. So he puts it back in his cloak, and it takes it out, and it's restored to, to the rest of his body, like the rest of his skin. And then God says, even if they don't believe those signs, I'm going to give you a third one. Take some water from the Nile. If you take the water from the Nile and pour it out, that water from the Nile is going to turn into blood. All of these are incredible themes that go all the way back to Genesis and, and will reach far into where we're going. I hope you've been reading ahead. I hope you're, you're hearing and seeing some of the stories, some of the, the staff, the serpent, um, the, the, the healing, the blood, the water, all these have significant themes and, and, and are introduced here. And God's pointing to the bigger work that he's going to be doing. But he wants Moses to see, hey, there's some supernatural things that I'm going to do to demonstrate not only to you but to the people that what? I'm with you. What makes every one of these signs unique is that they're based on God being with Moses. It's, it's not what Moses can do. It's what God's doing for and through and to Moses. God uses supernatural signs to actually remind us and to assure us of his presence. All right, well, that's Moses. What about in your life? I, I know a lot of you by name. I know a lot of you. I know a lot of your stories, both here and in our other venues and on our other campuses. I've heard your stories. God has demonstrated his presence to us in powerful ways, in oftentimes supernatural ways, so that we trust him, so we grow in our understanding of his presence with us and his power in our lives. And he's so kind to do that. Let me tell you a story. I've told this story before. Maybe it's new to some of you. Pretty significant story in my life. About five years ago, Two Rivers Church was heading into a leadership transition. Five years ago this fall. And uh, we had called a, a firm to actually walk us through this. We had an assessment done of our entire church. And it was, was going to be a three to five year transition where our, our founding pastor was going to shift off uh, the staff, move to something else. And we were going to find a, a new leader for our church. And so at the time, I was the executive pastor. And I got to tell you, I love being an executive pastor. I was an executive pastor for 20 years here and at another church. And I, I loved the role. I really enjoyed it. And I thought, as sad as I was to see this transition coming down the pike, I thought, well, this will be kind of fun. The next three to five years, um, we'll figure this thing out. We'll get an assessment done, and, and we'll move into a place where we're, we're actually searching for a new, per, a new person, new pastor. And uh, so, some part of that was kind of exhilarating and kind of challenging for me. But three to five years turned into three to five months. All of a sudden, we went from three to five years to three to five months. And the leadership team, as well as this search firm that we had, had hired, had come to a place, and they, they sat us down. Um, the leader sat me down and said, we believe that God's told us that you're supposed to be a candidate for the next lead pastor at Tuber's Church. And, and I gotta tell you, I don't wanna do it. That's not what I had in my mind and not in the cards. I, I, I thought maybe back in my 30s that was something I wanted to do, but, but it's not something I wanted to do. I, in fact, I didn't wanna do it. It's as honest as I can be with you. And, and there's a couple reasons why I didn't wanna do it, but if I'm being really honest with you and I'm gonna be really honest with you, one of the reasons that I didn't want to do it is because I had made a vow before God about 10 years before that. And I'm not saying God agreed to this vow. I'm just saying I made a vow before God. And I said to God, I will never allow myself to be put up for a, a, a vote of confidence. That's not something, that, that's a bridge too far for me. I saw some other pastors who went on vacation and while they were gone, um, the church had a vote of confidence. They came back and they go, dude, it's 80-20 and not in a good way. What? Like that, that feels like a lot. And I'm not whining or complaining. I love church. I love church folks. But I've, I've, I've experienced my own level of damage from church folk. So I made a vow. And I, I prayed about this. And I, I heard what leadership had said. And 
I, I, I prayed about it, and I thought, I, I, I don't know what to do. I'm in this weird space. I, I, I don't know that I'm supposed to do this. And I kept coming back to this commitment that I'd made, this vow I'd made. And, and that week, I flew out to California for some meetings. And on the flight out there, I felt like God just gave me a peace. I'm like, I was in turmoil. I wasn't sleeping well. I couldn't, I, what am I supposed to do with this, Lord? But by the time I got to California, I, I was kind of at this place in peace. Maybe California just takes the edge off. It's a nice place to be, right? So I got out there and I got in my hotel and I thought, all right, God, I guess I, I'll take care of meetings this week. I'll go back and, and my commitment will be to be a part of, you know, searching for this new guy and I'll stay as long as he needs me to get his feet under him and then I'll, I'll move on. Terry and I will figure out what's next for us. So I climbed in the bed and I got to tell you, I, I went to sleep like that. First good night's sleep I'd had in a long time. And 3 a.m. in the morning, my phone rings. And I look at my phone, and it, caller ID says, it's my dad. Which, I got to tell you, side note, my dad's called me five times in 10 years. Five times in 10 years. He doesn't call me. It's not something we do. So I looked at that, and I thought, at the time, he's, he's still in his mid-90s. I thought, oh my gosh, what's wrong? Why is my dad calling me? And why would he call me? I'm so far away. So I pick up the phone, and I say, Dad, you okay? He goes, yes, I am. Mark? I said, yes. He said, God told me to call you and tell you I love you. Let me take another side note. These aren't, this isn't language that my dad and I share together. I know he loves me. I get that. We've worked that out a long time ago. But God, God told me to call you and tell you I love you. What, what is that? I mean, it was bewildering to me. I, I couldn't wrap my mind around it. it. It didn't fit any conversation we'd ever had before. I've never heard my dad ever say, God told me. And I felt bad about it, but I was, it was 3 a.m. in the morning. I was kind of conflicted. I didn't know what was going on. I was bewildered to some degree. And I feel bad about this. I still feel bad about this. I said, what? So he repeated himself. I made the man repeat himself, and this time in tears. God told me to call you and tell you I love you. I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is getting uncomfortable and awkward. <laughs> and I said to my dad, I said, well, dude, awesome. Good for you. You heard from God, and you obeyed. He goes, okay, hung up. I'm serious. The conversation, if it lasted a minute, it was a minute. Tops. So I was laying in bed laughing, kind of like you are, going, what was that all about? What are you doing in my dad's life? And I've never heard the audible voice of God in my life, but I came as close that morning as I've ever heard it in my entire life. And I heard God say to me, if I can change a man in his 90s, certainly I can change a man in his 50s. And I knew. I had to submit. I had to do something I wasn't willing to do. So I flew home, and that week I, I met with Brad in his office. Brad was our founding pastor. I went into Brad's office, and I was trying to tell Brad the story, and Brad was, had, had his own story going on. He was saying yes to Jesus in a whole different way. And, and I, I was trying to tell Brad my story, and he was literally talking over me. He was, he was so excited about what God had called him to do, and he wasn't thrilled about leaving us, but he was thrilled about being obedient to what God was calling him to, and there was a lightness in him, a giddiness almost, that I'd never experienced with him. He's one of my dearest friends. And, and I watched this before me. There was a, a lifting in that room that I experienced. It was phenomenal. And I walked out of Brad's office, and I walked in and sat down in my office, and I sat down at my desk with the door shut, and I felt a weight like I've never felt in my entire life. The lightness that lifted from Brad moved and shifted in a place that was so intense. I'm telling you, honest to God, I'm not exaggerating the story. There was a weight that was so real for me, I physically could not stand. It was a supernatural experience I've never experienced in my entire life. Those might not feel like supernatural things to you for your dad to call you and tell you, I heard from God and he told me to do something and a weight sitting on your shoulders. But for me, I need the supernatural inter intervention of God to tell me that he's present in this, that this is exactly what he's calling me to do. God is so kind. 
so kind that he wants us to know and experience his presence and he gives us these supernatural experiences with him so that we'll know it and that we'll know that we know it. I know that's huge and, and, and I believe a lot of you have had that same experience to some degree in your life where God's called you to make some big shift and change in your world. And, and, and I believe he has to make them so profound in the moment so we don't doubt it two months down the road, right? Or two years down the road. But there's also those times in our lives that maybe aren't that profound but are, but are significant. I stopped by a friend of mine's house a couple weeks ago and uh, she's had a long journey in the last, I don't know, six, seven months. There's a lot going on in her life. Her sister was diagnosed with cancer. Cancer came back and um, she was there day in and day out with her sister. And there's a lot of other stuff going on in her world. I, I didn't know how much more, God, can this woman take? I mean, how much more can she carry? How much more can she handle? And I stopped by her house and her sister had passed away that week and she was writing a eulogy, and, and I saw this woman as spent as I've ever seen a person spent. I just prayed that God would reveal his presence to her in a, in a profound way. And the next day, I went to the funeral. It was over at Click Funeral Home in Farragut, and I, I went in and sat down, and, and it was a, I gotta tell you, this, don't hear this as disrespectful, it was a great funeral. As sad as it was, heartbreaking as it was, a woman taken way too soon, from my estimation, and the loss I saw my friend go through, and her family go through, intense but I watched this woman walk up to the platform and own a space that was beyond her abilities, beyond her skill set, beyond her expertise. Man, she preached. She brought the word. She brought conviction. She brought challenge. She presented the gospel. She honored Jesus. She lifted up her sister. And by the end of that time together, we were singing a song from Lawrence Welk together with bubbles coming up behind her sister's picture. I, I left Click Funeral Home smiling. There was a supernatural experience that I watched play out before me from the day before to the day of, that God gave her what she needed in the moment to do the very work that God had called her to do. God gives us what we need in the moment to remind us that he's with us. God patiently gives us what we need in the moment. And even more than that, God anticipates what we need before we know we need it. He anticipates what we need before we know we need it. I've used this phrase over and over. I don't know who created it originally, but it's his divine orchestration. God has divinely orchestrated the events in life that he's actually providing things for us before we know we need it. He knows our history. He knows our wiring. He knows, he knows what we think about ourselves, what we believe we've got, what we believe we don't have, and in our insecurities and in our arrogance or in our gifting and our skill set. He knows all of that. God's not reacting to who we are. He's writing a story and inviting us to participate in it. God's not surprised by our storyline and how we struggle sometimes to follow the very leading that he's providing for us. But he's already at work before we know we need it. Moses turns to his fourth concern, and I love this one. He says, if public speaking's part of the gig, count me out. He says, I don't speak good, God, you know that. I don't speak very good. And God says to him, really, that's, that's your argument? Moses says, oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and tongue. One author says, wow, Moses does a pretty good job being eloquent and telling God he's not very eloquent. That's, that's written pretty well. And I believe God's response to Moses carries both an edge of compassion and an edge of angst. You can, you can pick it up in this conversation. He says to him, Who's the, who's the main character in the story, Moses? Without dealing with Moses' insecurity, God points to himself. God points to Yahweh. What does Yahweh mean? God means, it means I'm present, I'm with you. He says to Moses, who's made man's mouth? Who made your mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? 
Now therefore go, and I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Did you catch that? Go, I'll be with your mouth, I'll be with you, I'll be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. God sees us and knows us, knows all that stuff we think we're hiding from everybody else. God sees that, he knows what we're uncertain about, he knows what we're insecure about, and yet he, he meets us in the midst of it. And frankly, I'm encouraged by the conversation, the honest conversation that Moses is able to have with God. It says we can talk with God this way too. I don't know if Moses had a speaking impediment. I don't know if he was eloquent or not. I know he perceived he wasn't. I know he struggled with an insecurity. That, that's pretty sure. Especially as God's called him out of, remember where he is? He's out on left field. And God's saying, I want you to go back to the people of God that you, that you fled from 40 years ago, and I want you to go back, and, and I want you to confront the strongest man alive. You gotta give Moses a little cred here and go, that's a big challenge. Even for people who feel like they're decent at speaking, that's a big call. But as consistent as God is, the emphasis is not on what Moses is or isn't, but is on who God is, present. God says, I'm present. I'll be with your mouth. I'll teach you what to say. Can't you hear it? Underlining all of this, God's saying to Moses, trust me, trust me, I've got this, I'm with you. And even while God is calling Moses to trust his presence, he knows Moses is reluctant. He knows Moses is reluctant. He knows he's gonna stammer, he's gonna struggle over this and trip over himself. Talked about divine orchestration, God divinely orchestrating events in our life. Another term I've stumbled on in our study this last month or so was this, God has an anticipatory providence. Anticipatory providence sounds bigger than it is. He anticipates. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. And from our, our favorite theologian, Wayne Grudem, Wayne says this. He defines providence. God's providence is this. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he directs them to fulfill his purposes. God is continually involved with all created things in such a way that he directs them to fulfill his purposes. This doesn't mean that God's a puppeteer, and he's mastering us, somehow in the mystery is our involvement in his work and mission. We're a part of this equation while we're not thwarting the purposes of God. Somehow God takes into consideration in, in all that he is, takes into consideration who we are, what we're going to do. He anticipates what's going to happen next and is already working ahead of time to make sure that things go the way that he wants them to go. I know it's hard to wrap your mind around. I get it, and I don't. I'm grasping it, and I'm trusting it. Think of it this way. As a parent, you got a, a kid that's maybe in their late teens and they're heading to Nashville tomorrow. And they got an interview. It's 11 o'clock in the morning and they got an interview tomorrow morning. And so you say to them tonight, hey, you might want to check your gas tank. I hate for you to get halfway there, not have enough gas, be late for the interview, and you know how that's going to roll. And so you get in bed that night, but <clears throat> you know your child. You know what the morning's going to look like. They're going to oversleep. They're going to rethink what they're wearing two, three, four times. They're going to make a couple phone calls, send a couple texts, leave late probably, and, and not get there on time. So what do you do at 11 o'clock at night on Sunday? You get up out of bed, you get in the car, you go down, you fill the car up with gas, and you take it back, put it in the driveway, and go back to bed because you anticipate what's going to happen the next day. The work's going to get done. God's saying, I, I, I want you to be a part of this. I'm relying on you, but I'm not dependent upon you. I'm going to get this done. God's moving. God's work is happening. God's mission is going to take place. He's inviting us to be a part of it, but he's not dependent upon us, but he's asking us to join him in it, and he anticipates what our response will be along the way. 
I have a daughter. I have two daughters. I have a daughter, Emily, who uh, in her mid-20s, uh, we had a little bit of a falling out. Um, was tense for a while. And uh, in her mid to late 20s, just before um, well, as COVID hit, she called and she said, uh, hey, my, my rent's up at, at this month. I don't know what to do next. I don't know what this thing's gonna happen. Can I come home for a few weeks until I can figure this out until this pandemic passes? Well, we all thought it was gonna be gone in a few weeks, right? And so I got off the, I said to her on the phone, absolutely, sweetheart, we'd love to have you come live with us. I got off the phone and said to Terry, oh my goodness, you don't know what I just did. <laughs> we're, we're not in a good place. This, this could be a, a long few weeks for us. And I don't know that any two women, adults, should be living in the same house. That's just a side note. But I, I'm wrestling with this, and, and yet she moves home. And you know how it went. A few weeks turned into months. It was months that this woman lived in my house. And while she lived in my house, here's what happened. I got to know the woman that she became, not the girl I thought she was. I, I got to see our relationship restored in a way. I don't know, apart from her coming home to live with us for a little while, would have ever taken place. And during those months, she got engaged, and by the end of that time together, I was able to walk my daughter down the aisle with a relationship restored. It was beautiful. God knew what I needed before I knew I needed it and was ahead of time providing it in his anticipatory providence. He knows what we need and is making it happen. But sometimes we can be obstinate. Can we not? We can be obstinate. We can miss it. Or we can hear it and go, yeah, it's still beyond me. And when, when that happens, God gets angry. For the first time we see here in the, in, in the text here, God gets angry. He gets angry, but God's anger isn't like my anger or your anger. It's actually a righteous and a holy anger. But God is trustworthy even in his anger. Moses gets to his final concern, and I think that's being generous to call it a concern. He's not even concerned anymore. His reluctance is saying, I'm opting out. And you can hear this like with a southern twang to it. Oh, my Lord. Oh, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Please, I, I don't want to do this thing. Moses is saying, I, I don't want to do it. It's a bit too much for me. It's out of my depths. And he begs God for a pass, which is interesting because if you go back to the beginning of this conversation, when, when God appears to him in a bush, that's phenomenal just as it is, right? And he's speaking to him. Moses' first response to God is, I am, I'm here. Moses, yes, I'm here, Lord. And you think it would end like a lot of other conversations we see with the heavenlies, with folks following Jesus, you'd think at the end of all this, God says, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. You'd think Moses would respond with, may it be to me as you have said. Not the case. Moses goes, I want out. Please, God. Oh, my Lord, send somebody else. Please. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. Yep, God gets angry. God get, got angry with Moses. I believe God gets angry with us sometimes. I don't want you to be afraid of that or scared of that. I, th I think that we've Americanized our theology so much that we've, we've, we've defined love and grace as all things good, and, and, and it can have no negative connotation to it in any way, shape, or form. We want to be loving. We want to be gracious. We, we, wanna, we, we want to experience the goodness and the kindness of God, and, and those are all true. But God was angry with Moses, and not to the point of annihilation. He wasn't angry like, all right, I'm done with you. I'm moving on. No, you see him continuing on in the story, and if you've read ahead, and I believe you have, and you should have read ahead, we know that God, God moves Moses past his reluctancy. He becomes a pretty phenomenal leader. But in the midst of all, all this, he's saying to him, Moses, trust me, I've, I've got you in this. Step into this with me. God's moving him. So God's not mad at him to the point of annihilation or even separation. It's just a part of who he is. 
And I'd argue this. I'd argue that God's anger with us isn't evidence that he's not with us, but it's evidence that he is, that God's present with us. If we feel his, his disappointment or his anger, that means that he's present with us. I'm a dad. I've raised two girls. I got angry with them. Not the out-of-control anger that no kid should have to experience or, 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 or walk through, but, but honest anger, like, you won't trust me? I remember Emily going to bed at night going, is the door locked? The door's locked. Emily, trust me, we got you in this. Seriously? And God's in the same spot. He goes, I, I, I want you to trust me. My anger doesn't mean I don't love you. Your parents, a lot of your parents are, have, have been parented. I hope you don't look back at your parents and if they were decent, did all they knew to do. I hope you don't look back at your parents because they were just unloving. My mom and dad were strict. They were harsh. I don't look back in my lifetime and think, wow, I had horrible parents. I look back and look, I had loving parents who loved me enough to stop me. I was out of control. Fifth, you know, the fifth born, we think we own the world. They were saying not so much, right? They disciplined me. I hope my kids look back at our parenting and say, hey, they, they love me enough to, to speak into my life to stop me from stepping into things I had no business stepping into. There are times when God gets angry with us. Sometimes, perhaps, for not doing what he said to us over and over, I want you to do this. I want you to step into this. I have this for you. This is good for you. I want you to step into this. It's like he's saying to Moses. And we fail to respond. We fail to, to actually do what he's called us to do. There are times we step into things that we know we have no business doing. Let me just deal with it directly. There's not a one of us who doesn't struggle with, with following Jesus and being obedient to him. And sometimes we've allowed patterns in our life, sin issues in our life, to have a seat in our world because we think, I've been fighting this thing for so long, I'm just going to let it have a seat. And God's saying, that's not enough. I want you to eradicate this from your life. I, I want you to give that over to me. I want to call you out on it. God's anger with us and his disappointment with us isn't because he wants to annihilate us or separate us. We can experience God's anger and his love and grace, and I think they all work together. You can't look at the Old Testament and go, well, that's, a, that's the Testament of anger and the New Testament's love and grace. If you're reading the Bible that way, you're missing the point. From New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation, God is describing who he is. I'm Yahweh, I'm the deliverer, I'm present with you, and I'm loving, and I'm gracious, and I have a lot of other emotions that come along with that. My love and my grace for you is sometimes expressed in my correction of you. Hey, the hardest moments of my life that didn't make me feel warm and fuzzy with Jesus were the times I feel like God kicked my tail. Like, called me up on the carpet. The author of Hebrews says it this way. My son did not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Do you catch that? He chastises every son whom he receives. God's saying, if there's an error in your life, I want to call you out on it. If you feel called out on it, if you feel like there's this, there's this, it feels like a separation between me and God because of something I won't let go of or give up, that's God saying to you. That's not you feeling distant from him. That's God speaking to you and you trying to distance yourself from him. God wants you to hear in his rebuke, in his calling you up, calling you out. I love you. I want your life to go better for you than this. Let it go. Give it up. Turn it over to me. So what does all this mean for a follower of Jesus? What's all of this mean? I think it's a question for every one of us to ask is this. God, where in my life are you calling me beyond me? Where are you calling me to trust you beyond where I am right now? If you're a follower of Jesus, and I hope and pray that every one of you have given your life to Jesus, and if you haven't, we'd love to spend some time with you before the day's up. 
But if you've given your life to Jesus and you're a follower of Jesus, God's calling you to more. There's always more. He's calling you to a space in your life and in your world where he wants you to trust and depend upon him. He's got a mission and a work that he's out to complete, and he's inviting us. He's relying on us to be a part of it. Knowing our reluctance, knowing our insecurities, knowing the stuff we'll trip over ourselves to get to, God's saying, I see, I get all that. I'm calling you to more. And so there's a place for all of us where God's calling us to step into what's beyond us. Because here's where, here's where life is found. When you step into what's beyond you, that's where faith is forged. That's where trust is forged. That's where dependency on God is forged because we've experienced his presence and now we can step into the unknown oftentimes because God's calling us beyond ourselves to do a work for us that he longs to see us accomplish for him. So I think it's a fair question for each of you. What, what is God calling you to? What is it? Maybe you know what it is almost immediately as I ask the question. Maybe it's a conversation that you've been putting off. You know you need to have with somebody. God's been poking at you for a while and he's going, hey, you need to have that conversation. Maybe it's a, something in your family that you got, know that God's called you to. It's a new step of faith you're gonna take, a new adventure, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe here at church. Maybe it's at your job. Maybe it's at school that God's saying, hey, I, I want more from you. I'm calling you to something new. I'm calling you to something fresh. I want you to trust me, trust my presence in this. I, I, I wanna see you step into this. And all of us, all of us in this room and across our venues, across our campuses, we know that we know God has called us to be a part of a great work and mission. He's on a mission to rescue and save the world and has included us in a part of this mission. Man, that's beyond us, is it not? And yet what he says to us, just like he said to the disciples, we studied this back six weeks ago, Easter weekend. We looked at the Great Commission, God's final words, Jesus' final words to the disciples before he ascended to the Father. And he said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And now I'm giving it to you. Go out there and make disciples. I've called you to follow. Now I'm calling you to invite others to follow. Make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you. And his promise to them was what? Same as he said to Moses, I'll be with you. Matthew 28. And behold, I'm with you always. To the end of the age. The same challenge. The same reminder. All the way back in the Old Testament. Is the same reminder that Jesus gives us. I'm with you. Yeah, it's beyond you but I'm with you in it and I'm gonna, I'm gonna meet you in it. My presence will meet you in it. Let me pray for us. Would you bow your heads? God, we, uh, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your very spirit that resides within us. That you promised never to leave us or forsake us and you have not. You've placed us, you've placed your very spirit, the spirit of Jesus himself, the spirit of Yahweh himself within us. God, we, we long to be a people who walk in faith. We long to be a people who walk trusting you. God, thank you for the reminder again and again and again that you're with us, that you're present with us. There's a next thing that, that each of us are being called to. I know that. I know that because your word says that you're calling us to, to more, to further, to engage even in greater ways in the work that you have for each of us to do. God, would you speak directly to each person, each person in this space, in the spaces we represent this morning, and, and just identify what is it. What, what's the next thing you're calling us to? Just, just identify for that right now. We, we identify that in us right now. God, we open our hearts, our ears, and our lives to hear from you right now in this moment.
God, I believe we've heard from you. And I, I ask that what you've spoken to us, would you embed it into our mind? Would, would, you, would you haunt us with it this week? Would you follow up and, and, and continue to remind us that the very thing you've called us to, you're going to empower us by your very presence with us. It's in the name and the holy, the matchless name of Yahweh, Jesus, we pray. Amen? Amen. Now let's stand and worship the one worthy of our praise.